are you telling me? Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to our latest to newest and greatest episode of Are You Telling Me? A podcast where history comes alive for one guy, and that guy's name is... Mike Russell. That's right, Mr. Mike Russell, and I am Il Professore, Steve Trollinger. And as you may have heard, we've got brand spanking new theme music, which is going to be... Which is uh, you heard in the episode we did before this one, but still, I love it so much. My good friend Andy, uh, in the show notes, we will put his company so that you can go to him and possibly give him monies for things which he will appreciate steve loves this song it is it is a perfect uh is perfect in every way uh today's a very special just like andy and me (laughs) but nobody else on this current zoom call uh speaking of other people on this current zoom call i forced them to be silent enough which gave me no end of pleasure uh we have an extra special super duper guest the easiest guest there ever was to get our song topsy brethren nick brigadier is joining us for this very special episode of are you telling me thank you are you telling me nick is here steve that's right. It's almost going to be completely the same show that we always do, but slightly different. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I've been a longtime listener, big fan, uh, and it's, uh, it's it's great to be here with my heroes. You've, you've heard every episode before anybody else got to. Uh, it's almost like I had, a, I had a hand in shaping the narrative of what you guys were actually saying on all of the previous episodes of Are You Telling Me? Uh, incorrect. You just let it roll. I know this for a fact. I take... I take careful consideration as to everything I say, and I know if you leave something out. But Steve, I do want to let you know, um, I love I love the formula that you guys have, and I am going to be a, a serious student, I am going to be attentive, and I look forward to learning alongside with my uh, classmate, Mr. Mike Russell. Uh, you know what, Nick, this is my favorite class, so I, it's, it's, now it just got even better. Now you've got someone whose notes you can copy off of. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm glad Nick is here. I actually saved this topic for Nick. I wanted him to be present because it incorporates two of what I'm sure are his favorite subjects to discuss. Pithy, well-thought-out, uh, uh, witty statements, and death. I thought you were going to say, and what gluten tastes like, because I don't remember what that hat is anymore. <laughs> well, that wouldn't be your favorite subject, now would it? can dream anywho so as nick ignored the fun joke i made at his expense he likes fun witty pithy sayings and death (laughs) those are his two favorite things to talk about yep you got it steve those are my two favorite things so today we're going to talk about something no living person ever really gives much thought to their last words and specifically we're going to be talking about famous last words oh I, you know, uh, I I almost had last words once. I'm shocked and amazed. Do you know what what they were? <laughs> what were they? I was I was beyond uh, no no fooling. I was super duper hoping that you would have something for this. So right before my big car accident when I was 17 years old, um, we were going to this place called the Rainbow Room. And it was the bluest building I had ever seen. It was the bluest blue. It was it was so blue. And yes, yes. I, we, you've told us that part before. 
So I say to everyone in the car, I'm like, oh my God, look at that, look at that Billy, look how blue that is. And then we got hit by uh then we got hit by a car. That would have been <laughs> that would have been a perfect encapsulation to your entire life. Look at how blue that building is. <laughs> I feel like the photo that they would use for Mike's funeral would just be him sheepishly shrugging, like a eh? Somehow that was also his yearbook photo quote, and he didn't. He just quoted himself at the moment of his death. God, I'm like looking at my eyes in the mirror. Look how blue this is. <laughs> I assume um, your last words, Mike, would be, "I'm pretty sure that's not poisonous." <laughs> this gun isn't loaded. Okay, okay. First of all, I feel like I could survive a gunshot wound and a little bit of poison. I poison myself almost daily. Let's be honest. Those are also some famous last... That also sounds like some famous last words. Please, I I would never shoot myself in the face, and I poison myself daily. Those are some famous last words right there. In fact, it's become so ingrained as part of our sort of inherited cultural language to say something like that, like, oh, famous last words. But really... It's not anything anybody outside of maybe some really insane people think about. Like, how will I be remembered at the moment of my death? Because chances are, none of us will be. Who feels good about themselves? You're speaking, Steve, figuratively to the entire listening audience, not to the three of us specifically, I'm No, we're very important. We're very important people, and history will record our last words, uh, and they will echo through the ages. So long as Libsyn keeps hosting our podcast. Exactly. Oh, and man. So my last words are going to be going through the universe are either going to be, this song sucks, Nick, or are you telling me, Steve? Like That's right, Mike. Uh, to any future person who listens to your last words or watches your last words, you lived your life entirely based on me and Nick and the things <laughs> that we said. That's sick. Um, but I, I want to mention up front, so today we are going to be discussing a few famous historical figures and they their literal famous last words. Uh, I, I don't know why I sound like a fucking game show host all of a sudden, but like, and they're famous last words. What are they going to be? Uh, I want. You'd be, you'd be a great game show thank host. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I would, everybody out there who may be producing game shows. Who want me to host? Nobody? Okay. So I want to say <laughs> uh, Steve, top, we could talk after the show. I got okay. a whole network I'm thinking about. <laughs> okay. Now I'm scared. Uh, more, Some more famous last words there. Just you got to start getting into Dogecoin, okay? Okay, moving on. So I want to say up top, uh, almost every entry we are discussing today should be absolutely be taken with a grain of salt, at least until we get to the modern age a bit. Uh, the people I'm going to take us through, we're going to start in the ancient times and we're going to work our way up to the front. And with most of history, much of what we discuss will be the accepted version, not necessarily the actual version, because version, because after all, humans love stories and they'll never let historical veracity get in the way of a good story. So no matter what actually happens, if there's a slightly better version that's told in the retelling, that one will become the historical account. I, I thought the winners always wrote the story. No, Mike, the editor <laughs> tells the story. Yes, the editor tells the story, like uh, the story of this episode and how 10 minutes of it got cut out the last <laughs> 10 minutes we were just talking. <laughs> now, I want uh, 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 some more disclaimers. Uh, 
In my research, I found that a lot of the funny or pithy last words are actually that are recorded are actually spoken usually by serial killers and uh, convicted murderers before they're executed. And I feel like that's a different show. So those will not be included in today's episode. That's got to be uh, tough because I feel like there's just a higher ratio of people listening to their last words because usually they're exe- they're killed in a very like not many people have their death scheduled, but since they do, it's usually much easier to record their final words. Nobody's like Gam Gam's dying on Thursday. Better get my audio recorder ready. I mean, unless um, they're very forward thinking. Imagine if you kept thinking it was time to die and you kept saying your last words and then like the next day came and then you're like, fuck, like, what do I do now? Do I do I say it? Why does Mike keep screaming? (laughs) I crossed over briefly and it turns out there was no God. (laughs) You just keep screaming that over and over again. The only thing I'm screaming at is Nick's going straight to hell. (laughs) Right, Right at the end of it. That's it. Mike, if your last words were Nick's going straight to hell, I would be flattered that you were thinking of me in your last moments. Well, in our last moments, the the issue, too, is that in our last moments, our brains probably aren't working the best that they've ever worked. You know, random when you're dying, random neurons are firing, especially if you're dying in the throes of some sort of neurological disorder. So what you say may not be recorded because it may not make any goddamn sense. Yeah, hopefully your brain isn't working at peak capacity right at the moment of your death. Yes, that would be... uh, that would be a that would be a horrific mind fuck. Ah, I mean, I don't know, guys. When you know, I think there's some people out there who want to be there the whole ride. It depends you know? on the type of death, I guess. I mean, okay, well, like, listen, you drown. Sometimes you just fall asleep under underwater, right? <laughs> That's what drowning is—falling asleep underwater. When on, and when you being on fire would would suck, unless you fall asleep. asleep and catch on fire. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but like, like if I had a choice, and you know, I I feel like I haven't. And you even almost actually, never do. I never sat down and watched the whole movie, but I do an Armageddon. Like that's that's what's up. You just start singing "Don't Want to Miss a Thing" by Aerosmith. You just strategically try to be where a massive meteor was crashing into. Yeah. All right, no, because the the guy uh, flies the uh, the spaceship into the asteroid. Okay, Mike. We will rewatch Armageddon later to show you how wrong that was. Is that not what? Wait, wait. Am I thinking of the uh, different movie? Deep you, Impact. <laughs> Maybe. Don't they blow up the asteroid in Armageddon? Uh, Mike, this is so far outside of the realm of the subject we're supposed to be discussing oh, I'm right sorry, now. Famous last words, and uh, you know this was a great big movie. It's outside the d- realm of Earth's atmosphere <laughs> as well as the subject of this episode. Okay, so let's start. So the first gentleman we're going to talk about, we've actually talked about, joked about a bit on this show, on this, uh, not on this show, but on our other show, The Song Topsy Report. Yes, wildly um, different and, shows. And that is, of course, probably the first person you hear about in that philosophy class they force freshmen in college to take, the great Athenian philosopher Socrates, or Socrates. Ah, Socrates, yeah, yeah. As, Or Socrates, as most people with their heads not firmly entrenched in their asses will pronounce it. Now... He is, uh, of course, the famous founder of much of Western philosophy. We all know of Socrates, and all we know of Socrates, we know from the writings of his contemporaries, because he wrote nothing down himself. We chiefly know the workings of his mind through his student, Plato, who did think to write things down, so let's all thank Plato. Uh, Through Plato's dialogues with his master, we know of Socrates' chief method of philosophical discovery, the aptly named Socratic Method. 
Through this method, Socrates would seek dialogue with a person and ask or answer questions in such a way as to stimulate critical thinking or to get the other person to question their presuppositions. He was essentially, as Mike would probably point out, he was essentially the father of, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> Dude, I love Socrates. That is the ultimate method. Yeah, man. It's, yo, nothing. You, you got to make people think about things they're not thinking about just for... I don't know, just for good conversation and entertainment. How much small talk do you think happened at the time Socrates was around? Like, did did that just stem from a need to not awkwardly be waiting for the next, like, donkey cart to take you into the city? I, I mean, was going to say as bus, a, but... <laughs> so as, as a philosopher, Socrates didn't really have what we would call a job. He was essentially just a smart hobo that, like, stayed at all of his friends' houses and never made any money. So he's a guy who stays at your house, doesn't offer you anything except for a bunch of arguments, and then expects you to feed him, <laughs> a.k.a. a philosopher. The things we love about people, like, ah, oh, Socrates is coming over. I can't wait to argue with him for four hours and then send him home. Or, well, it's not like or was... don't give him a bed to sleep in, and then maybe he'll find somewhere else to go argue tomorrow. Like, that's just... <laughs> it's not like they had a hell of a lot to do, I guess, if they were, you know, of a certain rank, and they had money, and they had other people to do stuff for them. Then what, what else are you going to do in ancient Greece but sit around, eat cheese and figs and drink wine and shout at each other about the meaning of life? And that's where we get most of Western philosophy from. It's going to say that right there is the definition of a functioning democracy. It's the only pure one we've had. Uh, it's interesting you bring up the for the concept of a functioning democracy, Nick. Uh, I don't because, know what it's like in real life. Yeah. Uh, at the time, Athens was what we would term today a pure democracy, meaning was like we like to talk about how, well, we're not a real democracy, we're a republic or a representative democracy where like people don't vote on things directly, they vote for people who do that work for them. Athenian democracy was direct democracy. Everybody who could vote did vote and on everything. Uh, and at this time in Greek history, Athens had suffered a stinging defeat in the Peloponnesian Wars against its very undemocratic neighbor, Sparta. So people were a bit on edge in Athens about the efficacy of their democratic government. So then you have somebody like Socrates, whom Plato called a gadfly, which is a fly that buzzes around a horse and stings it on the rear to motivate it to action. Socrates, his propensity for questioning everything basically annoys the Athenians into action rather than be satisfied with the status quo. But he eventually made the mistake of applying his method to the wealthy and powerful members of his society, who uh, eventually had enough of being stung in the ass, basically. So, and we're very interested at this point in time to showcase that Athenian democracy was not a failed form of government, and that which they had a financial stake in was still functional. So to prevent Socrates from screwing that up, they put him on trial because uh, they're tired of him asking questions and making people look bad. Why so, are you asking so many questions, Socrates? So are you... Keep going, Steve. Keep going. I was going to say, Nick, feel free to also say, are you telling me at no. any point if you'd like to? Listen, I, Mike has that trademarked. I don't have the money to pay for the royalties to say that expression. All right. Well, it's five dollars, Nick. Five dollars every time you say it. I'm a, you know, I'm wait. Not... You telling me it costs five dollars? Damn it! Oh, damn hey, it. all right, five bucks. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, the uh, Athenian government put 
Socrates on trial, was charged with uh, moral corruption and impiety, uh, and was convicted on both counts. They then held a vote on the nature of his punishment. Socrates jokingly suggested that for his contributions to society, his punishment should be free meals for the rest of his life. But nobody else thought that was very funny. I've uh, been there, Socrates. It's okay. <laughs> I like his sense of humor. That's great. Uh, his friends Plato and Crito offered a punishment of a fine, which they would pay for him. The jury, however, m by majority vote, ruled that the punishment would be death by forced suicide, so, which was actually a... Um, that was that was a punishment dealt out to the well-to-do. So to avoid embarrassment of a public execution, they basically gave you, they said, well, you're going to die. You can either die well and at your own hands or in public and at our hands. So his choice was to die by poison, by drinking uh, a drought mixed with hemlock. Um, and that was how he died, slowly to the effects of the hemlock. Uh, and as he's laying and dying... Uh, his final words would end up being to his good friend Crito, where he said, quote, Crito, we owe a cock, we owe a cock to Asclepius. Pay it and do not neglect it. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> after which he died. Steve, I, I feel like that means something different back then than it does nowadays. Well, no, it means the same. It means very similar things to what we say today. They're just not gross and immature teenagers like you are, Mike. No, so he owes him a chicken. He's like, "Yo, man, we gotta get this guy this chicken." Okay, they're not gross and immature teenagers like me, Mike. <laughs> so, a uh, little bit of background here: uh, Asclepius was the uh, god of medicine in ancient Greek mythology. And his brother uh, his, was Asclepius, who was the god of being tired. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Oh, I, I almost forgot that Nick was the gadfly of this, of the fucking shows that we do yes. in Dapper Devil Productions. Not to also be mistaken with his older sister, the Jewish god of getting from A to B, Asclepius. Damn it, Mike, I told you it was a mistake to let him on the show. <laughs> oh, God. So... The, the background, he's uh, the god of medicine. Asclepius is the god of medicine. Uh, Socrates is essentially, ironically, and in jest, saying to his friend, be sure to sacrifice this rooster to the god of medicine, for he has cured me of the sickness of mortality. Yes. So emo. Though I think he meant it more like, he meant it less like strands of hair fell down the, the front of his face, and he like put his head in his hands and go like, uh, Crito. Uh, sacrifice to the god of medicine for I have been absolved of the curse of living. Like, it was less like that, more like, ah, don't forget to give Asclepius a, a chicken, because, hey, <laughs> I guess I'm dead now. I'm sorry, Steve. I'm going to choose to think of the former, not the latter. I like the My Socratic Romance version, where he's just wearing black. My so lead, He's just got black romance. robes going over him instead of white. <laughs> Once again, Steve, I under I understand that like final words can be twisted very slightly, and people keep the best versions. Well, this is my best version, and I'm keeping it. All right, yeah. all right, fair enough. Fair so, enough. Steve, so, Steve, are you telling me that so Socrates is put to death for asking too many questions uh, and disrupting the order of which the Athenian democracy was running, and? Decide they they sentence him to suicide so they don't have to feel all gross about themselves, and he chooses to drink this hemlock poison, dies, 
And his final words is, get my buddy the chicken. Trito. So, so Nick, yeah, like what, Steve, if you could say anything, anything. No, that's not. That's Will not. You be worried about a goddamn chicken. This man. That's. It's not about the. Entire... Chi- it's not about the chicken, Mike. Like Steve, I, I think now I'm. Oh, established... Famous last words. <laughs> it's not about the chicken, Mike. Whereupon Nick passed from this mortal coil. Uh, no, Steve, I think now I've decided I'm actually going to give a rating to all these last words, and I'm giving this a B plus. This is a pretty good, pretty good last words, because it's, uh, it requ- it, it's witty, and it requires like two or three steps to get to that wittiness, and I respect someone, assuming he actually did say this, of, I think it's a baller move to not make your last words like, oh, I love you, grandchild. Boring. I want some wit. <laughs> So B plus. Uh, you want some wit? Well, then hold on to your stirrups because we're on horses. I don't know. I I'm Is not. Is this next good. one a western? No, I'm not good with metaphors. Uh, no, we're gonna jump ahead to Gallop ancient. Ahead. To uh, thank you to ancient Rome, one of my favorite periods of time, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk. We're gonna Why look at the that, fu- Steve. That's a whole different episode. We're not going to go into that. Um, eh, I like violence. Eh, I like feeling like I'm in control of the whole earth. So that's just you being an American, Steve. Yeah. So we're we're going to talk about the last words spoken by Saint Lawrence of Rome, born circa AD 225 in Valencia in the Imperial Roman Province of Hispania. He was the friend and student of the future Pope Sixtus II, a famous teacher of Wait, the early church. Wait, his name was Pope Sixtus, and he was the second. He was the second. That's oh, not we, fair. Back he should be to Mr. Sixtus. He should, he should be Pope Secondus. Steve, I was, I was Nick. I was asking Steve the other day about whether you know why they didn't keep having more kids and have Pope Sixtus the sixth. You know? Could you imagine like all the bullying that would have happened at Pope Middle School with all the kids? <laughs> The six, the six, the six, the six. It's so frustrating. You can't even bully the kid properly because you can't even say his name. As I was saying, Pope Sixtus II, a famous and revered teacher of the early church. Blah, blah, you, blah. You fucking apostates. <laughs> uh, named St. Lawrence one of the seven archdeacons of the church in Rome, responsible for the treasury and the distribution of alms. Now, at this point in history... The church wasn't the Catholic church that we know it. It was still in its formative years. And, it was in beta. Yeah, and he's called the Pope because that's what we call the Bishop of Rome, but he wasn't necessarily—that wasn't the title that he had. He was just one of many bishops. He was the Bishop of Rome, which held certain prominence. Um, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Why—so why was he called the Pope? I'm using the term Pope because that's the term we all recognize today, just to make it easier for everyone— to understand. But apparently I failed. No. <sighs> he was the Pope before it was cool. We got it. So at this point in the Roman Empire, Christians were not quite as outside the mainstream as they used to, uh, as they used to be or had been. Uh, their presence in the empire was slightly more normalized, and even high-ranking members of the imperial government was included among their ranks. However, This was also smack dab in the middle of a period of time in the empire called the Crisis of the Third Century. 
Between 235 and 285 AD, a veritable clown car of emperors would be declared as powerful military leaders vied with each other to lay claim to the empire and begin a new dynasty, although all would inevitably fail to maintain that. All told, 23 emperors would reign during this 50-year period. And in that kind of atmosphere, the newly crowned emperor Valerian instituted a new persecution of religious minorities to scapegoat in a bid to maintain his hold on power. Uh, the easiest one at this point in time still being the Christians. Uh, so he ordered the confiscation of land and property of Roman Christians who would not renounce their faith, banished those who would not worship the Roman pantheon, ordered the execution of Christian leaders, yada, 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 same old, same old. And he went and captured our friend Pope Sixtus, killed him. Uh, the Roman authorities what? then went after, yeah, if killed the, the bullying Pope. in middle school wasn't enough. Things ended poorly for Sixtus, regardless. And they went after his subordinates. And the telling goes that Archdeacon Lawrence, who was in charge of the treasury, mind you, asked for three days to gather up all the church's wealth for the Romans to confiscate. In those three days, he instead worked to distribute the gathered wealth to as many of the city's poor as possible. And when on the third day, the Roman prelate uh, asked for the treasure, Lawrence presented the poor, the crippled, the blind people he had helped as, quote, the treasures of the church. And for this insult, he was sentenced to die. Duh. In my head, I'm just imagining he looks exactly like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> if that helps you. I can see the guy. Oh, man. Don't you see this, this nice old man I've saved? He's a treasure, a gem. Ah. What the, uh, dude, I can, I can. And you see also, this guy? You see this guy here? He's Hank. He's fucking hilarious, dude. You can't put a price on that. Also, he literally has the gems that I had. I gave them to him yesterday. He tells jokes. Jokes and gems. This guy's this guy is a real treasure, all right? Keep him around. You're gonna love him. Ah, speaking of jokes and gems, so how did St. Lawrence die? In the traditional retelling of his martyrdom, the Roman prelate so angry with what Lawrence had done, ordered a great gridiron prepared with hot coals beneath it. Mm, now I'm hungry. And, and yes, and Lawrence was placed on it and left to suffer for a very long time. So he was put on a football field of coals? No, he was more stuck like in a, a traffic George, jam covered, covered More like coals. a George Foreman grill. He was put on a giant George Foreman grill. It's my lean, mean, Christian persecuting machine. I like it so much I put my name on it, too. There you go, Nick. You found that you found that apostate <laughs> hellbound humor you, you were looking for before. I'm just imagining if made-for-TV ads, or as seen on TV ads, were around during Roman times of just all of the religious persecution paraphernalia you could sell. Did it have a soul catcher on it after, you know, he... <laughs> no, those are different. Those are a real thing. You could buy a crucifix with all the crucifixins. It's got the nails, you got the crown of thorns... And you'd expect to pay 18 denarii for these, but call now and we'll throw in a second cross absolutely free. Okay, now Nick went too far, so I'm going to continue. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. So the Roman prelate uh, approached with an offer of relief, and Lawrence, in what would turn out to be his final words, said to him, and I, prom I apologize for butchering this Latin if I do, Asumest verset manduca which roughly translates to, quote, I'm well done on this side. Turn me over and take a bite. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Hell yes. 
Oh, that's top notch. That might be A+. Plus. I, I, I kind of want to grade on a curve, and I haven't heard all of these, but that's that's metal Ooh. as fuck. Oh, I would and, love to dial it saying that. That's great. And that, gentlemen, is why today St. Lawrence is remembered as the patron saint of both cooks and comedians. Nice. <laughs> it's too bad. It, it's too bad when... Uh, like what was it 10 15 years ago when that person thought they found the virgin mary on the piece of toast if it wasn't this guy it would be so much more appropriate if he was well done on the one side where you actually saw his face sorry hey, that's where my St. brain Lawrence. goes it's saint lawrence yes we all know what saint lawrence looks like right because we're devout catholics every one of us i've got a medal <laughs> you know what you know what the catholics need there's too many there's too many saints there's too many popes there's too many uh apostles there's all these guys they need they need an, um to jump in on, on this nft business all right we need some non-fungible tokens of all these archangels all these regular angels all these uh demonic people we gotta know who everybody is get them on collectible little uh art pieces little uh like because it's like it's the future of like uh, trading cards, and I think if the Catholic Church did trading cards, there'd be uh... so in lieu of a collection bucket, you just have digital NFTs, and that's how. I mean, Con- congratulations! People, people need to fund these churches through through crypto. I was going to say congratulations, Mike. You just invented a Simpsons gag from twenty years ago. No way! Did they? Simpsons God did it. Damn. Well, anyway. Oh my God! Uh, it's more modern because it's the non-fungible tokens. I didn't know oh, about that. Oh right, thing. yes, of course. <laughs> Updated for the new for the new millennium. I'll uh, just keep hear that fresh. <laughs> but guys, the church Jesus guys, the Simpsons. church weren't done burning people yet because I'd watch a sitcom with that they'll, title. They'll never stop. <laughs> they'll never stop. But in this case, literally, uh, <laughs> we we now jump ahead to the 1300s with Jacques de Molay, who was the 23rd, and as it would turn out, final Grandmaster of the Knights Templar. Ah, see, I thought he was going to be the the final Templar of the Demolition Union in uh, South Jersey. Are you part of some sort of Mason organization that we're unfamiliar with that is Jersey-based, Mike? Jersey Mike's, Mason's... And uh, Jersey Mike's Masons, Masons yeah, we, and Templars. You know, I teamed up with the sub guy, and uh, you we know, called the we, fucking Masons. Uh, the Templar Order, for people who haven't read a book or seen a movie ever, uh, was originally a Catholic or military played Starcraft, or played Starcraft. Uh, originally a Catholic military and charitable order, which had, by the waning days of the Crusades, essentially become the world's first multinational corporation. They had developed new banking techniques and an economic infrastructure which spread across Europe and the Middle East that roped in high clergymen and members of Europe's royal families. However, as the Crusades fell apart and the Holy Land was lost, popular support for orders such as the Templars vanished, which gave people like King Philip IV of France, who was heavily in debt to the Templars, and Pope Clement V, who was French by birth and favored his birth country, the opportunity to destroy the order in one swift blow. Clement dissolved the order in 1312, and Philip proceeded to have every member of the order rounded up and tortured into false confessions. However, in 1314, de Molay, the Grand Master, retracted his confession, which led to Philip having him burnt at the stake publicly on an island in front of Notre Dame. Jesus Christ! 
Now, there's a lot of retellings of this story because of both how swift it was and how dramatic it was, how quickly this once powerful order was destroyed in virtually one night. And it's pretty much the reason why it's given rise to all the legends about the Templars was, you know, the basically it, how, how dramatic the whole thing was really leads to people coming up with fun fan fiction for it. Just say the Da Vinci um, Code, Steve. We know what you're talking about. The Da Vinci Code. We'll get to him next. Don't worry. Dan Brown's last words? Did he die? Yes. <laughs> so how did how did he die? I just said, burned at the stake. Uh, what did he say? Now, in certain retellings, he is said to either have said, quote, let evil swiftly befall those who have wrongly condemned us. God will avenge us, end quote. Or more specifically, quote, Pope Clement, King Philip, I summon you to the tribunal of heaven before the year is out. Steve! Steve! No, no, that's not, that's not what he said. Steve, this guy is being burned alive at the stake. He's got flames licking his insides, and you're telling me he's going to say it like that? I want, Steve, I want to hear this wait, quote no, as wait, if wait, it wait. happened. Mike. <laughs> Lean back about six inches away from the microphone and show me exactly what he would have said. Uh, t- tell me like the first few words of that quote there, Steve. And then just feel the rest of it. Let evil swiftly befall those who have wrongly condemned us. <laughs> Let evil rightfully bestow us. Those who have around us Templar Oh you have so, so many neighbors Mike Yeah so, no something like that now I'll so tell you he what, sounds like Bobcat Goldwave you know what's funny that's not fair I shouldn't do this shit I shouldn't do this shit the other day my, my, there was a lot of commotion coming from my neighbor's place and I went over with a baseball bat because I, I was scared. I don't know what was going on. Uh but we've we've become real good friends since then. But I hope Until he doesn't tonight. come over with his baseball bat now. <laughs> it sounds like someone's burning you at the stake for religious persecution. Open the door. Also, I it's remarkable. I said, I gave you a, I, I spoon-fed you a sentence. Three seconds later, you got it almost completely wrong. Three seconds later. I, I liked my version better. The Templar knew who, you know. Uh, yeah, so Steve, to, to give a rating, the, the first account of what you said, I give a C, C minus. It's, it's, it's fine, it's there. I give the second one a little bit better. I give that like a B minus because he's, he's calling out the other people. Mike's, but, I think I got to give an A. That's pretty good. But Nick, I felt Nick, the fire. You <laughs> Nick, you don't understand the further context. For you see, in either case, no matter which one he said, these last words would prove to be prophetic, as within a year, Clement was dead of illness and Philip dead of a stroke. And moreover, within a decade after his death, Philip's entire line would be completely extinguished. Okay, B minus to a B. <laughs> oh, did you use extinguished because he was on fire? No, that's a general turn of phrase for people oh, talking funny, about lines Steve. being extinguished. That's good. That's okay, good. yeah, it was meant as a joke. They were snuffed out. They were snuffed. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I knew I should have let Nick on my show. God, I love how you're talking about martyrs getting burned at the stake, Steve, at the stake, Steve. But you're the one with the persecution complex. Well, I am a Catholic, and I am a Christian. Um, so we, as I hinted at before. Uh, we're going to jump ahead to the 1500s now, 
uh, to the man who existed solely to make the billions who lived after him feel unaccomplished, Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, fun, fun, fun. Fun guy. Fun guy. Great to have a beer with. He, you know, I love he and Mikey's uh, relationship. You know, I feel like there'd be a fun sitcom about them. Is it it was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> it's the closest we'll ever get. Uh, aside from the Ninja Turtle, Leonardo da Vinci was the greatest of the Renaissance men and was many things in life. A painter, engineer, scientist, sculptor, architect, and note taker. But where some of us have... Where some of us have a notes app where we put our half-formed fart jokes and get-rich-quick schemes, Da Vinci made notes on ideas he had about astronomy, cartography, botany, anatomy, paleontology, tanks, helicopters, double-hulled warships, robots, and essentially informed technological advances that couldn't and wouldn't be achieved for hundreds of years after his death. How? Yeah, but just because you can vision it, like... Did he help out? Did he help the cause? Were they like, look at these photos? Hey, you know what? I'd like to ride in something like that. That tank looks pretty nice. I bet I could blow up a lot of cities with that thing. <laughs> Let's go, Da Tanks Vinci. a lot, Leonardo. <laughs> well, the trouble with that, Mike, is that a lot of this stuff were in his private notebooks. There were thoughts that he jotted down. He didn't think anybody would actually care about them. And no, in fact, he, he thought nobody would go into his diary well, because it's but he, rude. Well, no, if that's not that's not the case, because otherwise he wouldn't have left them all to various assistants and friends in his will. It was those assistants and friends that proceeded to sell them off, which is how they ended up where they are today in various collections around the world. Steve, I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna give you and Nick my uh, my diary from. <laughs> oh God! Don't do that, please. When I when I pass, all right. Do you keep a diary? I yeah, actually, I keep a brain blog. I keep a brain blog. I've kept a brain blog for the last five years or so. And also, I have every single day that I was in the big house, I have a letter from <laughs> that I sent out to my lady on the outside back then. Okay, Which is that fa- would- it's fascinating to take a trip back in time sometimes. It's <laughs> no, seriously, that would be an amazing read. Wildly invasive of, I'm sure, your privacy. But I, I oh yeah, yeah, oh, but d- he'll be. He'll be dead, and when you're dead, nothing happens. So I don't know. I'm pretty sure Mike's gonna live, outlive both of us, Steve. <laughs> you guys are doing something wrong. At that. Like... We're not living enough is the problem. So Leonardo da Vinci was alive at a time in which there was no codified difference between art and science. Many of his drawings in his notebooks blend the two together seamlessly, like the Vitruvian Man. Uh, both his World, which is both one of the world's most famous drawings and also an exploration of the proportions of the human body. <laughs> which, one's, uh, which one's that? That's the, the one guy the guy with, with like his arms outstretched. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually a perfect, like what the perfect human proportions are. And it's p- Petruvian. Petruvian. Vitruvian man. man. V. Oh, the Truvian. The. The, the v. v. V is a Vitruvian. The. No, Vitruvian. Uh, Vitruvian. Oh, Vitruvian. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Vitruvian, man. I know what you're talking about. Right? Oh, <laughs> Shut the Jesus. fuck up, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I misheard Steve, and I'm like, who's the who's the Truvian, man? <laughs> his, his, much like the, not much like the Petruvian man, 
His anatomical drawings included the first scientific exploration of the mechanics of the body and also the development of a fetus in utero, and if they had ever been published, would have advanced medical science by hundreds of years. So the fact that these went to his idiot friends who then just sold them to people who never used them meant that we were still fucking, like, leeching each other well into the 1700s. Come on! Look, these leeches need jobs, right? I mean, like, what what else is a leech good for if it's not going to be, be used as medicine when, um... Before we find more proper ways to do it. Do I don't know that we have to find reasons for creatures to exist, Mike. I'm just imagining well, a bunch of leeches picketing <laughs> with signs. We want jobs. We want jobs. Can you just like one talking to the other one? Yo, this, this Da Vinci guy's got to go, man. He's He's got all these ideas. All these ideas. Only it's a bunch of leech sounds like <laughs> and their subtitles translating their disdain. It's it's really sad. He was so forward-thinking, and yet he left all those drawings to his friend who owned Europe's largest leech emporium. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no. No one can ever see these. So how did Leonardo da Vinci, the great Renaissance man, die? Uh, it was from a very common stroke, much like anybody could be afflicted by. But unlike anybody, it happened while he was staying with his good friend, the French king Francis I, for whom I should for whom I should mention, Da Vinci built a mechanical lion for this guy that could walk, and when touched by a wand, its chest would open to reveal a cluster of lilies. He just built that for him, just to have. Yo, the king must have been like Da Vinci. What? Oh shit. Oh, what shit. is this? God, we give each other gift cards now. What the <laughs> fuck happened? Yo, guys, are you checking this? Look at what Da Vinci brought me. Yo, it's open in its chest. <laughs> he gets this... all the court trumpeters to be like, he gets all the court trumpeters. Play that thing I told you guys to play when cool stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> but what was this motherfucker's last thought in his head? What were the last words that the great Da Vinci had to say? I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have, end quote. Oh, shut sh- the last words are a humble brag. And remember that the next time you feel bad, you didn't get the laundry done that day. Oh, my God. Are I don't- you telling me, Steve, that the great Da Vinci, this, this man... Renaissance man, as you say, the greatest of greats, had one of these, like, you know, I was expecting a lot more of out of him for his last words. Like, I've, off- <laughs> I've offended God. You know, the broski, I don't think he'd like something like that. Like, what do you mean? Unless he was very sincere about it. Which is, I've, I would which say, is also da-, worse. da Vinci was maybe one of, like, I don't know, 20 people to have ever lived who truly was self-actualized, like did every single thing in their life that they possibly could do to contribute to the rest of humanity. And for him to say that he didn't make the cut. Yeah. He lit, he, he saw other people. (laughs) He knew he was doing better than them. Remember this. Remember this. The next time you feel bad about not going out to the grocery store today or <laughs> doing a podcast. Doing a podcast episode. Dude, if if Da Vinci offended God, then I must have fucked God's wife. Honestly, <laughs> with the <laughs> famous last words. 
Oh, I want to see that. You with God. I don't know who God's wife would be, but Mike, hide under the bed. God is coming. Oh, man, he sees everything. <laughs> I hope he won't find me here. Oh, actually, when he walks in, that's what he said. I saw everything. Mike, I feel like, though, I feel like you would have some, like, intimacy issues because she kept calling out her husband's name. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, I was calling out his name, too, Nick. <laughs> Speaking of people who could see the future. <laughs> Nailed it. Michelle de Nostradam, a.k.a. Nostradamus, was history's most famed clairvoyant. Pretty much everybody knows something about Nostradamus. He, I just know I need some Stradamus and there's none of it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. Nick's infecting you, Mike. <laughs> you need to you need to you need to spend some time some time separated from him. He's a, he's a bad we're gonna have detention after class, Nick. Yes, Stradamus? No Stradamus. <laughs> no Stradamus was trained as a physician before he was expelled. Uh, he then became an apothecary and plague doctor in France, fighting outbreaks throughout the country. And in 1550, he seized upon a new trend, astrology, specifically how crazy the wealthy and powerful were for psychics and horoscopes and almanacs and such. So I thought, what a great business proposition. I just tell people a bunch of shit, and then they don't have me killed by the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> that Catholic Church, that... <laughs> Oh, that rascal. Oh, they're, 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 they're the main villain of this, of this episode. So in 1555, he wrote a book called Le Prophecies, which was, hey, a collection of prophecies, uh, specifically nice. 942 four-line poems or quatrains. These were purposefully written to be obscure and vague, both to broaden their ability to pertain to events and also to avoid persecution by the church, because if you couldn't figure out what you were trying to say, you couldn't accuse a person of being a witch, I guess. Uh, but eventually he wouldn't have to worry about the church because his greatest admirer, Catherine de' Medici, wife of the King of France, had him summoned to Paris and kept him on as a counselor and physician. Uh, his prophecies, written to be purposely obscure, were also horribly translated— further adding to their unreliability. And in fact, many times a translator would make changes to the text based on what they thought he was predicting. They're like, I bet this is what he's talking about. Uh, how did he die, you ask? Which nobody has been, but I've been saying it anyway. Gout, the rich man's disease. Ooh, listen, you know, I didn't know that could kill you. I, you know, I, I got some family members with the gout. You know, Any, and, uh, anything benign today would kill you 500 years ago. Unbelievable. You know, you just like to have a few drinks and be an old man, and the next thing you know, you're dead. Well, I guess that's, <laughs> that's just how it always That's happens. just life. <laughs> One thing led to another, and then life ended. <laughs> I brought up all that stuff about his predictions, quote-unquote, and their unreliability, because he had one prediction that actually turned out to be pretty spot-on. The evening before his death, his secretary, uh, before they left that night... Uh, asked him if there was anything he could get for him, and he said what would turn out to be his final words, which were, you will not find me alive at sunrise. And true enough, the next day, his secretary showed up, found him dead on the floor next to his bed. The only prediction that ever actually came true. Unbelievable. Well, if he'd been oh. wrong, he would have died of embarrassment anyway. Yeah, Cue the credits list, of my Nostradamus sitcom. Yeah, nobody on this list has died so, of embarrassment. So, Most, so, mostly disease and murder. So, so Steve, I mean, was he out on a bender? 
Like, what happened? Like, because like, he had a, did he inflare his gout so bad yeah. that he... It, he suffered from an edema, yeah. Uh, he, so, so he was, yeah. he was out drinking. He was out drinking. No, that's not what I said. I no, said no, you're right. And then he was hitting, he was <laughs> hanging with the secretary. I see where this is going. And, you know, maybe just a couple extra glasses of wine, one more cocktail. And next thing you know, it starts in the foot, works its way up to the heart, and he's done. You know what? For the purposes of moving on, yes, Mike, that's how Nostradamus died. You nailed it. You should be up here teaching and not me. You know, <laughs> he would have been a great student at, at Notre Dame, right? Like, no, where do you think he fucking came from? Where do you think he was fucking from, Mike? Why do you think he was called of Notre Dame? <laughs> but it's Nostradamus. Were you saying Nostradamus? That's, that's the Latinized version of his name. He changed it to sound like a mystic. Ah, oh, so he's... So he's someone who likes to make themselves seem more special than they His are. His real name is Michel de Nostradam, basically Michael from, Nostra, from Notre Dame. He's got Michael my French from Notre name. Dame. He's a Michael. Another Michael. Look at, look at this. All these Michaels we're covering. He's <laughs> Michael from Notre Dame, which these days means usually a, an idiot jock. But I'm back gonna, then, it meant... You know, oh, oh, that's, you know, that's all us Mikes are to you, is idiot jock. <laughs> Let me tell you what. I'm going to be Michael... Uh, Plaxpergocio. Plaxpergocio, yeah. <laughs> Call me that sounds Plax. like an off-brand Italian marinara sauce. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, man, are this, is, was the grocery store out of Prego? Yeah, all they had was Plaxpergocio. <laughs> oh, man, it's a Michel de Plaxpergocio. It's just Mike dressed as an Italian chef with an obviously fake mustache. <laughs> Our our next subject also had a fun name, a fun alternate identity. Uh, also a Frenchman, Francois Marie Arouette, uh, known by his pen name Voltaire. Uh, yes, a French philosopher and writer known for his biting wit and naked criticism of the Catholic Church. His writings on the natural origins of freedoms of speech, religion, and separation of church and state also were the foundation which future Enlightenment writers, many of whom would become American founding fathers, would pull from. Through his life, he wrote over 20,000 letters and over 2,000 books, plays, and histories. And most of what he wrote was intended to subvert or outright challenge any number of deeply held beliefs or arguments or institutions, especially the Catholic Church. He would urge his readers to, quote, crush the infamous, whom he usually regarded as those secular and religious powers that engaged in corruption and abuse and the intolerance fomented by organized religion. You know what I love about these these guys? <clears throat> they're obvious. They're obvious moderates, you know, they don't like a way of thinking to go too far. They want people to question everything constantly. But weirdly enough, Mike, that was an extreme belief at the time. Isn't that crazy? Yes. That's crazy! To be like, let's chill, was extreme. Well, Nick, if you haven't noticed, it's a little extreme today to be chill. I see Instagram posts telling me not to be chill every day. From well, all over the place, man. Everything's telling me uh, to be in Panic City, which... In some ways... Which has which bought out a lot of party cities, and it's just where you buy, like, riot gear. <laughs> How did Voltaire die, Steve? Steve, oh, how, how did, did he die? die? Yeah, what, happened to, what happened to Voltaire? <laughs> how did he die? Oh, I'm glad you brought. I'm probably glad you guys asked that. Uh, he died in '83 after falling ill during a five-day journey to Paris. Accounts as to his deathbed differ, with his opponents claiming that he either repented uh, on his deathbed or accept and accepted last rites, or died in agony, both body and soul. 
However, one story caught on is the one most people refer, prefer to attribute to him. Uh, and what did he say? What, to choose as his last words on this earth, to the priest administering last rites, after asking him to renounce Satan, Voltaire's last words were, quote, Now, now, my good man, this is no time to be making new enemies. Cue guitar riff. <laughs> A plus. Wait, wait. Who did he say that to? The priest administering last rites. Nah. You get to the part where, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? To which he responded, Ah, look, I don't want to go pissing off people I got to deal with. You know that's going to be an awkward conversation if he goes up, too. Uh, Peter at the gates being like, So, uh, so you and Satan are chill? What's, uh, what's I'm not pro Satan. I'm just not anti Satan. I'm a moderate. <laughs> Well, Catholic Church has a place for you moderates. It's called purgatory. That's where you go. It's where you go to burn for a couple of thousand years. Figure out, figure out where you went wrong. Wait, wait, wait. Is it fire in purgatory, or is it kind of just like this kind of empty white void where it's like you gotta, you gotta figure it out. I don't know, Mike. It's a made-up place that I've never been to. <laughs> well, yeah, Steve, because you're not dead yet. But you know what? Maybe I'll meet you there one day, huh? But you know who is dead? General John Sedgwick. Wait, hold on. We didn't talk about the guy. <laughs> we didn't talk about the guy talking to his priest. Yes, we did. did he we? died. I feel like there's so much more I need to know about him, but if we need to move on. I liked. I only, I I liked only, I only have three more. You'll like these, Mike. Don't three. worry. <laughs> Steve, how many? Steve, are you telling me? That you got 20 different quotes for, for how people die. We are, we are an hour in. I just want the listeners at home to know that Steve really fully goes in all the way on research. Fine. Okay, we got two more. There. We got no, two no, more. No, no, no. I want all three. That's fine. I just am. It's a two-parter. Let's go. This this one will be fun. This one will tickle your we'll bones. make it work. Yes. Uh, well, I, don't, I don't mind being tickled. Let's go. General famous John Sedgwick was a yes, famous last words was a Union Army general during the American Civil War and grandson of a Revolutionary War general. John Sedgwick was essentially born with military blood in his veins, so he was promoted. This is also our first American, mind you. He was promoted USA, USA. To, to the rank of Brigadier General. Brigadier USA, General. Brigadier. USA. Hey, Brigadier. <laughs> brigadier General. Brigadier. During the outbreak of the Civil War. He would command troops during the, the Battle of Celiac An Outbreak, where no no soldier could it seemed to to swallow the bread to stomach it, it for very if long. If I was Brigadier General and Brigadier, I wouldn't be fighting in the Civil War. I'd just be finding fields of wheat and ordering my men to just shoot at it. Get it! <laughs> well, well, Mike giggles about that. He, w I'll continue. He I'm was. He commanded troops during the Battle of Antietam in 1862 against Stonewall Jackson, during which he was shot three times in the arm, leg, and shoulder, which caused him to miss the subsequent Battle of Fredericksburg. But he was present through the Second Battle of Fredericksburg, as well as the Battle of Gettysburg, all of which he escaped without injury. Uh, he also fought in and survived the Battle of the Wilderness, which was a huge clusterfuck of a battle. But he survived all these battles. And then we get to... The Spotsylvania, the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse, where Spotsyl he was Spotsylvania Spotsylvania Courthouse is in Virginia, and he survived all these battles only to be felled by a Confederate sharpshooter 
while he was directing artillery placements. And what did he say before he died? Well, as he watched the men under his command duck for cover from the sharpshooter bullets, he continued to trot around in the open, loudly shaming his men for their fear. And as a last admonishment, he shouted, quote, Why are you dodging like this? They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance before being promptly shot in the face. <sighs> ah, you know, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. Yeah, I bet uh, he did, too. <laughs> Although it looks like he didn't even see it coming, so I guess he didn't. Well, there are some accounts, back to the thing, whatever it makes more dramatic story sense is the one that they go with. There are other accounts that say he actually didn't even finish the sentence. He uh, he turned and said, why are you dodging? They couldn't hit an elephant at this dick. And then he gets shot in the face because it's funnier. <laughs> They, they were all about their comedic timing with their storytelling. And uh, death. He, uh, also, as an added layer of sadness, Mike, I didn't mention before, but before this battle, John Cedric had been trying to get uh, redeployed. He was trying to get redeployed to a smaller theater of war or to actually resign his commission because he was war weary. He didn't want to fight anymore. So he didn't want to fight anymore, but they wouldn't let him go. So he's like, all right, I'll go do this one last battle. And then that's, there was essentially like, it's the last two days till retirement. That's the, you know, getting shut, you know, that's that scene. That's what happened. You know what I think? I think he had done so well in those previous battles and his air of, you know, just going with the ebb and flow of the bullets and being able to not get hit and probably kill a lot of people. I mean, maybe some overconfidence came his way. It's a damn shame. It's stupid when someone starts shooting that you're not going to take cover. That's That sucks. But it's a little badass to be like, ah, fuck these guys. Until you're shot in the face. Exactly. That's that key moment <laughs> where you real, die. It's real great right up until you're shot. Like, someone else could get shot in the face. And I think it'd still be able to, like, uh, maintain this uh, this this now uh, inspiration you've given the troops. But as soon as you offer inspiration, if you get cut out, uh, it does, like, double damage. Yeah, as soon as my general gets shot, I'm going to feel like, well, I can't take him seriously anymore. Look what happened. So, wait, your grand philosophical argument, Mike, is everything's cool until you get shot in the face. (laughs) I I mean, I I don't disagree. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which means I think there should be developed... You know, we have have great body armor. We have dragon armor. We have great bodies. You have dragon armor? I mean, I don't personally have dragon armor, but have you watched the video? You can withstand an entire grenade explosion on your chest, which is incredible. And I have often thought to myself, boy, how much more confident would I feel if I was just wearing, like, body armor all the time? Mike, Mike, you live your life like you're wearing invisible body armor. I've never I know. seen someone That's so why I confident. Actually, need it, Nick, because like I gotta be ready. I need my I need my physical defense to catch up with my perception of my own invulnerability. I don't want to end up like what's this fuck, you know, telling everyone, "Well, what are y'all not? Why y'all hiding? These guys suck. They're a bunch of stormtroopers shooting at us." Like, what was that guy's name? Plattsburgio? No, 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 no. That was the other guy. That was Notre Dame. General was, John Sedgwick. 
Sedgwick. No, no, you're wrong, Steve. It's Plattsburghio. <laughs> it's Plattsburghio, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, the great seer, the great seer and purveyor of tomato paste, Plattsburghio. Now, see, I know you got some left, but this, you know what, Nick, it's about this time where I've realized I've been throwing so much information. I need to do a quick little recap, and I want to throw this well, recap what to I was, What I was going to say is we can actually have that be the last one, probably, and like we can work around it <clears throat> and just do like a wrap-up for the episode, if you want. So, Nick... I want you to do this for me. I like to retrace in my mind all the stuff Steve told us today and just try to like slash it all down to a nice little like here and there A to B just so he knows I was paying attention. And I'm going to give you that opportunity today. So what did Steve tell us today? Steve told us the... Storied history of Last Words, starting all the way back with my Socratical romance, uh, going on through the Roman guy, who certainly was... Uh, fuck, what did the Roman guy say? Well, let's see. Socrates said, uh, yo, give my buddy that chicken. Yeah, give my buddy the chicken. Direct quote, Socrates, uh, yes. And then, uh, it's, then- hearty, it's, it's heartening to know that Nick remembered exactly the same amount of stuff that Mike remembers on any given episode. <laughs> So, uh, Steve, give us a little hint. Uh, well, the, the Romanian guy, he... Uh, no, I don't have to. I've been talking for an hour and a half. Romanian I guy. don't have to tell you anything. Uh, uh, so Nick, search oh, no, heart. no, no, no. Uh, that was... No, shit. That, I, I, I know the guy after. The guy who got evenly roasted on both sides. Um, that is oh, the take next a bite, guy. Flip me over and take a bite out of my ass. Or yes, something yes. Like that, McGruff right? the crime dog. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and, what? But, <laughs> take a bite of the ass. Oh, but the, who, fuck, who's the Roman guy before? There, no, the, that was the Roman guy. Oh, that so was Saint Lawrence of Rome. Wait, take a bite. Uh, take a bite. I mean, was the oh, I, th- I thought Saint Lawrence was the third guy. I apologize. Okay, uh, I, I'm doing great then. And then after that, uh, we got Galileo, who humble bragged. Oh, no, Da Vinci. Yeah, Fen- we got da, we got Da Vinci. Don't you shake your head at me, Steve. After Roman guy, we had Da Vinci who humble bragged. After that, we had Nostradamus who predicted his death the next day. Really, really brilliant. Uh, then we had oh, Voltaire. He, he had the gout. He had the gout there. Yes, yeah. No, no gout about it. Uh, and then we had Voltaire, <laughs> uh, who who was still buddies with Satan or didn't want to didn't want to burn that bridge with hellfire. And then we had Civil War dude who got shot in the face. And said okay. they can't shoot an elephant in the African safari. What'd they say? <laughs> yep. That was it. That was it. Here's what I love about doing a history podcast with Mike. Mike essentially speeds up. Like, he's like a time bubble. Like, if you... Mike puts... Takes, like, the the evolution of historical fact into historical fiction and legend and he just accelerates that Mm -hmm. that evolution he's like a game of historical telephone like you tell him something and then within less than an hour you'll get the version that the like people 300 years from now are probably getting (laughs) (laughs) yeah he fought in the civil war he went on he he talked about african safaris all the time (laughs) oh yeah the civil war guy was killed by an elephant or something right and you forgot about uh, he got the blown grand... away by an elephant gun. Is that what? Like... You you forgot about the Grand Master of the Knights Templar. Oh, the Templar! Yes. The man screaming, 
screaming as he's burning alive on his cross. We don't know if he was screaming, Mike. That oh, was your interpretation. You know Maybe he was, he was scre- giving a more subdued Steve performance. I want you to try to explain. To, uh, are you telling me, Nick, that you think you think there's some sort of subdued Templar crazy man out there who's going to get strapped up on a cross on an island outside of Notre Dame, get burned alive, and it's going to be able to give a very, like... Like thought out and calm leveled speech as the flames are just like, like, like touching Mike, his organs. Like, Mike, you, you obviously have no idea how being burnt at a stake works. I've had plenty of opportunity to see it in action, and I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty they don't start the fire right next to him. They start the fire on the ground. The fire like slowly works its way up to the guy on the stake. So he's got plenty of time before the smoke inhalation gets to his lungs to say anything he wants. And then he'll start screaming once the fire actually reaches him. But he's got time. Oh, right. But what if he wanted to really think out what he had to say? That seemed like it was pretty thought out. He cursed both of the people who got him killed, and then they both died. Okay, so I missed one. I missed one, Steve. But otherwise... Otherwise, you got all the other ones almost completely wrong. Well, Steve, I don't know what you want from me. Like, I, you, you have brought something to my knowledge base, and I will remember core little nuggets of it that I can probably drop at parties and also get mostly wrong. Steve, we need to start making a test, a multiple choice test, and giving it out to the people and being like, did you pay attention to today's episode? Do you know what we learned? But the listeners can rewind. They can cheat. I'm living life in real time right now. Yeah, no, the test is for you, Mike. The test will be for (laughs) For, you. That's not a good, that's not a bad idea you've come up with to hurt yourself with, Mike. I've just just cursed myself to a lifetime of tests. (laughs) I thought I left that back in 2010. Nah, man. Well, that's all I have for you guys today, because uh, truth be told, I could probably go on for another hour, but I won't, because that's terrible. Uh, So I want to thank the both of you today for attending my long-winded lecture about the history of famous last words and various examples thereof. Uh, And thank you to all of the listening audience who haven't turned this off by an hour fallen asleep. Um, If you would like to check out more things by me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at YourManTrollo, on my personal website, StephenTrollinger.com, and you can check out me and all of us on our good, good, tasty, delicious Dapper Devil Productions website, and it's good, finger-licking good, mm, mm, turn me over and bite me, I'm done. (laughs) Oh my god, that would be a great thing to say after like a real... A real nice time in the sack, you know? Like, well, turn me over and bite me. I'm done. And then you take out a cigarette. Except you can't smoke inside anymore, damn libs. These uh, goddamn libs! <laughs> Mike, Mike, where can we find you? You can find me on my Instagram at MrMikeRussell.com. That's MrMR.dot. And, uh, yeah, Nick's here. Nick, where can we find you? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I am feeling so selfless today that I just want to encourage everyone to follow Steve uh, at Your Mantrello and Mike at MrMikeRussell.com. Check out their social media accounts. Don't head over to Nick Brigadier on Twitter and Instagram and see the content there that's always brewing. It's not, it, you know, no, don't even worry about it. Just go to check out Steve and Mike's stuff. Oh, okay, Da Vinci. 
<laughs> you know what that was to the listeners? It was like a Da Vinci Code. I'm doing the mind blown thing. Dan, yeah, Dan that Brown, that famous. Really? You, <laughs> what can Nick, I say? Nick brought up. Nick brought up Dan Brown's last words before, and I already know what they are. They are most likely going to be, well, time to write the same book for a fifth time. Sorry, Steve. I'm a Dan Brown noser. <laughs> and that's as good. That's as good a place as any to stop. So, as I uh, as I did last time, so do I do again. I wish you that historical uh, equivalent of either a blessing or a curse to us and to you all listening at home. Quote, may you live in interesting times. That's exactly what I'm telling you, Mike. Mike. History, stupid.